Welcome to Pathways Perspectives, the podcast from Development Pathways. We're your hosts. My name is Bandu. And I'm Clara. And we are interested in learning about the nuances of social protection. Each episode will be an expert-on-expert conversation, a discussion between practitioners on a variety of topics such as poverty and cash transfers to gender and financial inclusion. This week, we have Alexander Barentes, a Senior Social Protection Specialist at Development Pathways, and Rasmus Schutt, a Social Policy Specialist and Development Pathways Associate. They discuss negative narratives and storytelling around the perceptions of poverty. Why do these narratives exist in the social protection sphere? How do they impact policies that practitioners advise to governments? And how do negative narratives directly impact implementation on the ground? They will discuss these questions both from a theoretical perspective as well as from their personal experiences. Alexandra and Rasmus do a deep dive into poverty narratives. They push back against these perceptions and argue for the need to reevaluate our approach to poverty. For high, middle, and low-income countries, we need a more dignified approach, one that empowers citizens and their entitlement to social security rather than one that shames and questions their deservingness. We have been having these conversations, Rasmus, for quite a few um, a few years, I suppose, in terms of the, what we've seen, not only in terms of the academic research on this topic, but also what we've seen in the field, in countries, in terms of the policymaking around social protection in particular, and the impact that some of these negative discourses and negative narratives around poverty and the poor, and I'm quoting and I'm quoting, if we couldn't identify who the poor are, and the relationship relationship these negative narratives have uh, with regards to social policies, because we see that in the making of uh, social protection programs and policies in, in many of the countries, low and middle income countries that we work in, but also in high income countries and some of the current discourses around fiscal austerity and cutting on or imposing sanctions and conditions to welfare programs around the world. And I think it's one of the one of the interesting things about this topic is that it's actually it's something that you encounter everywhere in low and middle income countries and in high income countries. And so, for example, in Denmark and many other European countries, you've seen this movement from seeing poverty as a as a structural issue, that's something that society has to deal with, to more and more of an, uh, a question of individual uh, either individual skills or lack of education, or and but now more and more uh, as a as a matter of a lack of motivation from unemployed people. The things that we've discussed before, and I think we don't discuss enough in the social protection world, in a way, are all these conceptions, right, that we have around the poor, quote unquote, uh, people that are marginalized and vulnerable in society, and the kind of of behavior that we put on their uh, daily lives. And there's issues around the deservingness that we've discussed many times, a being able-bodied or not being able-bodied to do certain kind of work or to be able to be benefiting from a certain welfare system. There's issues like this discourse around the welfare queens, the uh, the people that are taking, the takers that are taking advantage of government. And there is this almost unequal relationship when you're talking about the deservingness between the person who is non-deserving of a certain service or policy or program financed by government and the government uh, that is actually the giver, right, in terms of the, the program and the service. And there is this unequal relationship Without that, we don't. I don't think, at least from the policymakers' standpoint, I don't think we discuss that enough in the social protection world. And mm. you have many times expressed this issue: of what is the reasoning behind why? Why do we think this is? Yeah, 
Yeah, and I think that's a very interesting question. Why we see this all over the world? You, say, you see more or less the same kind of prejudice towards poor people, and you you have this idea that poor people are poor because they make poor choices. And there's this really interesting concept of the fundamental attribution error, which is this sort of like psychological bias that all of us carry around. That when we look at other people's uh, situation, we automatically assume that it must be because they made some bad choices. Whereas when we think about our own situation, we can recognize that actually uh, we are where we are because of uh, circumstance and, and there's a lot of coincidences and, and luck involved but uh, but we fail to see that when we see other look at other people's situation and I, I think that's one that's a really interesting idea and I think that's probably one of the causes of this then of course you also have a lot of people who have an, an, an agenda and trying to sort of like minimize taxes, minimize government expenditure. So you have some people who have an interest in also trying to pushing these kind of narratives that are keeping government spending low. Some examples of how these negative narratives around poverty and the discourse around the poor not deserving certain services or individual fault or failures, you can see in the actual implementation in countries. In, in some cases, for example, I have been actually in meetings with policymakers working, for example, on an information system that is meant to um, facilitate and to support uh, a certain program, a social protection program. And you can see in the discussions that there is this need to make sure that we assess who the vulnerable really are, identifying the poorest of the poor and who will be deserving it because the others who are not that poor shouldn't be getting any of the services. Other things that I've seen is, for example, when you go to a pay point or when you see the actual implementation of a program such as a cash transfer program, for example, in a low or middle income country, where you see that uh, some of these considerations in which you would have made more efforts in trying to put in place better conditions in accessing those services, such as, for example, uh, distances to pay points, uh, standing or waiting lines and what have you. You don't see the same kind of commitment or the same kind of uh, worry in terms of making sure that those services are not only accessible, but they're also accessible in a dignified way. So I've seen issues around people waiting under very long lines under the scorching sun, having to walk more than four or five kilometers to be able to access one of these pay points. Um, so there are many instances and examples in which these negative narratives, again, have a, a direct impact in the way that the programs are being implemented. Yeah, because you're essentially putting uh, more powers of control into the hands of the of the state, uh, so it becomes more difficult for citizens to actually complain. And uh, and the same goes for like, for example, uh, different targeting mechanisms that are that are not transparent, so that if people don't actually know who's entitled to what support, or if they don't see it as an entitlement, then it becomes much more difficult to complain about being left out. And uh, this also, I think, links to what you said earlier that there's perhaps too much concern for inclusion errors. So people are very concerned about making sure that uh, there are not some non-poor people who are benefiting from the program, uh, whereas actually the main concern in most cases should be on exclusion errors that to make sure that people are not excluded from the support that they need. Um, and it becomes quite absurd when you see in many low-income countries where the vast majority of people are, are poor, but you still see this concern about not having anybody in the program who is uh, perhaps a, a little bit too wealthy. Yeah, I've actually asked people in that regard and there was this exactly that oh, I might I don't I won't complain just in case it gets taken away from me right again it's a complete lack of um, sense of entitlement towards that service or that program I always like to think that our own personal responsibility in the international development field and particularly in social protection as well is is working on a 
golden rule model in the sense that I wouldn't want to design or help design or advise on designing a program or a service that is meant for the poor or that is meant uh, for the others, right? And that I wouldn't be wanting to, for example, to access. And I think people forget about this discourse. And again, when we go back to the storytelling, and if you look at the way some of the poverty targeted programs or some of the conditioned or sanctioned uh, sort of sanctions were implemented in some of the welfare programs or social protection programs and systems around the world, you do see a certain linkage. And there's been quite a bit of research on that as well, linking it to some more austerity measures, right? A fiscal austerity or trying to make sure that their scarce resources are used to the best advantage for a society or a country in particular. And again, in those, when you do this storytelling and this narrative around the need for this, you're forgetting about a system that is based for all of us. If you, if we live in the UK, if we live in, in Denmark, we are as middle income citizens, we are all expecting to get some kind of benefits from the social security system. And it's not because we're leaking or taking advantage of a certain system, but we are actually citizens who pay taxes, who contribute towards society. And there is an expectation. So this issue of deservingness doesn't really come in hand when you're talking about middle-income citizens. I think it's really interesting. So thinking about the, the Danish system where there's actually a big difference between uh, the social insurance system where you pay into uh, a system, so it's like an insurance, right? And then when you become unemployed, you you get the, the benefits that you are entitled to as a result of contributing to that system specifically with a monthly payment. Um, so there's not the same kind of like sh- shame or stigmatization involved in applying for that funds because it's, it's like an insurance, right? You, you wouldn't feel shame or stigmatization when, if you claim insurance because you bought, you bought the right to, um, to get that benefit, right? Um, but it's completely different if you're going to the local authority and you want like the basic unemployment uh, benefits or social assistance. Uh, there's a lot of shame and stigmatization involved in that because you have to prove that you are deserving. You're not automatically deserving as a, um, as a result of having contributed into the system, even though it, the difference is not actually that much. I mean, the social insurance system in Denmark is also partly tax financed. It's actually more financed by taxes than the, the individual contributions. And if you are a citizen, then of course you have also been contributing into the basic unemployment benefit by by paying taxes. So uh, there's not really any reason why there should be that difference between the sort of like two categories of people. Um, and, and there's no reason why people should have to be exposed to that kind of stigmatization or shame of having to prove that they are poor enough or that they are deserving enough in order to get the um, unemployment benefits uh, just because they haven't been paying into the contributory system. Um, and you can make the same argument easily in, in low-income countries, even if the tax rates are much lower and there's not much in terms of income tax. Uh, poor people also pay, for example, VAT. So you have these really interesting analysis showing that actually uh, you have more poverty in some countries uh, after taxes and transfers than you have before because uh, there's a lot of poor people paying a lot of taxes and they're not really getting any benefits. Um, yeah. So, So I think that's really important to also see that in most cases, uh, people do actually contribute contribute through their taxes. Uh, and that's why it's perhaps a little bit inaccurate to talk about non-contributory uh, systems. I think the idea is that all of these negative narratives that we're talking about when we're talking about the poor, quote unquote, 
vis-a-vis other sectors in society, middle class, uh, upper classes, is that these negative narratives have actually an impact on the way we think, we tell stories about policymaking, about how social media obviously also conveys some of these ideas, but also about how we approach policymaking. And this, I think, in particular is of, of relevance in middle and low income countries because we have a certain responsibility to, if we're going to be learning from experiences from other countries, let's do it the right way. Because ultimately what it does, it, it limits the capacity. If you are blaming individuals or certain segment of society for their own um, problems, uh, instead of blaming or sort of uh, looking at consequences that it's actually structural issues such as poverty, labor market, uh, marginalization, discrimination, stigmatization, labeling, what have you, right? So you're trying to struggle down to adjust uh, budgets to make ends meet from a fiscal standpoint. You're legitimizing also inequality because it's not a structural issue that needs to be addressed, but it's individual failings of the poor and you limit states intervention for the the poor or in terms of having universal and inclusive social policies across the life cycle right yeah exactly because benefits in this kind of view is almost like uh, enabling the bad choices of the poor right you're probably it's like you are uh, encouraging people uh, and so so one thing is this um, tendency to have lower benefits in order to in- increase the incentive to take employment because you see the lack of incentive as the main issue uh, and but another thing is also that you tend to attach uh, conditions to to programs right so you see conditional te- cash transfers in low and middle income countries and you see a lot of welfare conditionality is used as, uh, as well in high-income countries with um, this uh, very massive use of active labor market policies since the mid-1990s. Uh, and it's it's kind of ironic that this has become such a popular thing because you don't really see many results if you look at the literature on the impact of active labor market policies. It's really not impressive uh, results. And uh, I guess, but I guess it's quite... It's not so strange that if you have a wrong diagnosis of what poverty is and what causes poverty, then you're also going to come up with the wrong solutions. And these solutions can then again have some negative consequences because when you attach conditionalities, for example, that sort of like reinforces these negative narratives and creates even more stigmatization and, and shame in the system, right? And if you look at what actually uh, motivates people and what actually help, can uh, help people get into employment or education, uh, you have to look a lot more at actually supporting people to um, to reach their own goals and to uh, to help them actually build their skills or, or to actually help them with the needs that they do have uh, rather than putting up these very strict conditions. Many of these ideas and and some of these thoughts, I suppose, come, I do a lot of traveling for work in many countries, and I like talking to taxi drivers a lot. And in many of those discussions with taxi drivers, or even just your acquaintances, your neighbors who don't know anything about what you do and don't really understand what it is to work in international development and social policy in particular, I have these conversations and they ask, oh, what do you do? And then I try explaining is, oh, charity. That's the, that's the main core argument, right? And then there's a whole discussion. Oh, but how do you make sure that the money that foreign governments are providing to low and middle income countries for these welfare programs are actually being used in the best way and corruption and people using the money for different uh, items that are not necessarily the most important and health. And so is, there is this understanding. And again, it doesn't matter where you live. I've lived in many countries. I've traveled quite a bit. It's always the same discourse. It's always the same. There's there's always a question mark next to the kind of social policy slash 
charity work that we do. And in this, and in this sort of discourse and in this discussion, we many times forget the issues that we've been talking about, about dignity, about uh, entitlements, and how do we view these policies and these programs from a completely different perspective in which you're not trying to justify your deservingness to access a service or a program, but that you're actually a right holder that is actually should be benefiting from, from these or should be able to access uh, different programs. And I think there's a difference here in, in, in how you put this discussion forward and also what the impact is ultimately on policy making. So just to wrap up, I think maybe the main conclusions are that we, we really need to make sure in these debates to emphasize that poverty is a structural issue and it requires transformational policies. We're never going to be able to move forward with this emphasis on, on poverty as an individual issue that has to be solved by a program. So we're never targeted at, at this group of people called the poor. So, so the main issue, I guess, is, is to make sure that we emphasize income as a right and not, not as a charity. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of Pathways Perspectives. Let us know what you think. Share your comments with us on social media about how you've seen or experienced the impacts of negative narratives around poverty. Watch this space and website for more of our work. You can find blogs, webinars, and future podcast episodes at developmentpathways.co.uk.